In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers, and we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com beat and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com beat. Thanks for your help. Welcome to the Summit Series with Ari Melber, and we have a very special guest today. Reginald Cash is a leading executive in entertainment media, often behind the scenes, CEO of the multi-million dollar company Three Black Dot, which was named one of Fast Company's top 10 innovative video companies of 2022. It's paving the way across multiple media and digital ventures. They're working on projects with the whore director Eli Roth, the rapper 50 Cent. They produced and financed 2019's Queen and Slim, which won the BET Award for Best Movie and started the web series Gaming While Black. The Wall Street Journal reported that generated over 100 million paid and earned media impressions during the first season alone. And Reginald Cash, who goes by Reggie, joins me on the Summit Series now. Welcome. Thank you, Ari. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We talked to a lot of different people Mm -hmm. at the Summit. Uh, And you are both at and building out because you're going into digital spaces where there might be new summits. Yeah. Uh, so we could start anywhere, but you know what I want to start with you? What's that? Parties. <laughs> parties, okay. You know why? Why? Because you started with parties. <clears throat> That's where I started, yeah. Um, so we like to mix it up. I'm just going to mm-hmm. start with someone else who started with parties who's very different than you. Okay. Um, but who, like you, thinks that if you know how to throw a good party when you're young, you might be able to bring people together in life. Yeah. Uh, take a look. He said, yo, Playboy, this party costs a million and a half dollars. To throw. I'm like, you are out of your mind. And I said, Puff, I'll throw you a party for 400 bucks. <laughs> that, uh-huh. that will rival this party. Mm-hmm. And he got pissed at me. He said, you don't, don't play with well, me. You don't have my titty, you know what I'm saying? I said, no, I'm, I'm not. I, I respect you. But in L.A., I, I'm known for throwing, like, these cool little parties. I was trying to get in music at that time, so I would throw parties for a reason, because Puff was so famous with music, I had a studio in my house. <laughs> That's what Jamie Foxx found. Yeah. Uh, you were apparently good at this. How does throwing a party prepare you for what you're doing now in social media and beyond? So when I, when I started, um, you know, I moved to New York at an early age from Cleveland, and... Um, you know, similar to, to, the, to the clip with Jamie Foxx and, 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 and Puff Daddy, those were the, the superheroes. When I was growing up in the Midwest, looking at, like, how big, uh, you know, the, a Jay-Z or a Puff Daddy or people who had CEO in their titles, but they were really, really, really good at orchestrating parties, that was the first time that I actually kind of got the, got the bug or got the inspiration of, like, you know, let me see if I can be like those guys. And so when I got to New York... There was just a, you know, just a kind of a huge void of, hey, we're on this college campus. There's not, you know, there's not a lot to do. Let me see if I can program and bring people together. And I just got hooked on that feeling of, hey, when people come together, they meet each other. They, you know, there's a little bit of excitement, not knowing what to expect. They anticipate the date. You know, they, they're, they're sort of at their best. Um, and then they give you that immediate sort of visceral reaction of like, 
oh, this is a good time. You're creating memories that's going to last a lot longer than just that individual night. And so I think for all of us, you know, to this day, when you think about, you know, kind of your college experience, you think about those moments where you're like, I got to know people a little bit better. I discovered something. You know, maybe there was a conversation or a connection that I struck up that lasted a long time. And then you trace other moments and, you know, those become kind of the milestones and the markers of, <clears throat> of, 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 of your timeline. And I wanted to be that person that created those, those moments, created those memories for people. And so that's how, I got into, that's how I got into throwing parties. Fast forward to where we are now, I only want to create content where people can actually build community around the content. So the very same thing, like how can I create content that has a sense of discovery, that sparks a conversation, that educates people in a certain way, that inspires people. And like that's, that's sort of our true north in terms of any project that we take on or any project that we develop is, can we create a community around it? Can it be something bigger than just kind of an ephemeral kind of content piece and transcend and transform into something that people are actually going to remember, you know, years, decades, uh, you know, multi-decades later? I want to actually create things that I think can be timeless in that way. Community is the way in. And so that's the connection. Right. So you, we hear these words about, you know, content and platforms. Yeah. You're saying that underneath that, though, is how do people yeah. connect and feel about whatever the content might be? Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just at the end of the day, it's just a set of feelings, right? Like people. Well, I don't know. It, is it? It's just it's just as everything distills to a, a set of feelings. You can you can flatten everything to a, a set of feelings. And so, you know, that's how we that's how we built our model where, you know, we're not tied to a specific medium. We do everything from feature film to, to social content to books. Um, we're not tied to a specific genre of creation. It's, it's what gives us the shortcut or the fastest path to create that similar and consistent set of feelings everywhere that they show up to interact with this piece of content. All right, so let's drill on that a little bit because someone could hear that and think it sounds yeah. real out there. Yeah. The feeling they could have might yeah. be confusion. <laughs> but. Uh, reading up on you, it seems like if we take that before all of the internet, let's let's throw the internet out yep. and say in 1960, mm -hmm. that exchange might be through the vinyl record, yep. and then you buy it and then you share it and then you talk about it, yep. right? And you're saying now with video games, which there's a big age gap on on who really plays a lot of video yep. games, uh, young people, for them the video game might be like the vinyl record. You basically argue that if it's done well. It's not just the game. The game is the touch point to then talk about stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Like we, we don't, you know, the gamer generation, like they, they it's, it's one. It's been decided. It's near ubiquity for, you know, anyone who's sort of 18 to 26 year old. I think, I think they poll at like 95% consider themselves gamers. They play games. That is the underlying medium. Um, and so we don't spend a lot of time there. What we spend a lot of time doing is like, Okay, how does that medium of gaming influence other decision points? How does it inter intersect with other passion points? How does gaming influence uh, how you think about music or fashion or food? How does it influence and intersect with you know, identity and race and gender and sexuality? That's the interesting stuff for us. It's not about going in the game and being the best at, you know, at, at, at Call of Duty or, or any other game. It really is about the community that surfaces around those games. And, and, you know, we, for me, I, growing up, you know, kind of mid-2000s, it, it's very, very similar to um, kind of the path that hip-hop took, right? Like, you start off and you, you have this thing and it feels like very, very niche. 
and everyone that's into it, you can immediately identify them. You walk down the street, you're like, oh, that's a that's a hip hop person. You know, they have, you know, they have the look. They've, you know, completely bought in. It feels very kind of insiderish, right? You know, you fast forward to today, and it's you know, 20 years later, and you know, you know this better than anyone. The convergence, and and if you don't, you know, understand how hip hop influences culture, mm. um, in in any aspect, any arena, no matter what business you're in, you're probably missing a very, very significant, you know, kind of revenue column to your business mm. if you don't understand that transmission mechanism. I think that's where we are with gaming. You know, it's coming out of the basement and the stereotypes and, you know, you know, just, just the nerds and the dweebs um, to, to being something that's going to be ubiquitous. And you need to understand the mm. transmission mechanism of how that gaming behavior can translate to you know, a purchase decision. Right, it's fascinating when you lay it out like that, and the way you're talking, it sounds like your mind is very open or agnostic, because you're yeah. looking at it as platforms. Of course, yeah. people get, you know, if I, if I substitute the word hip-hop with country, yeah. right, or rock yeah. and roll, someone might feel different. Yeah. You talk about getting to gaming, where some people are into it, but older people, I think, as the data shows, are, are less exposed to it. Uh, Drake did say, the game is sold separately. <laughs> but you look at that, and people who love rock and roll and say, no, that's... Yeah. That's for me, and then yeah. that changed everything. You drop in the words hip-hop, and they might feel different. Yeah. Or uh, over 50 hip-hop head, you drop in the word gaming, and they'd be like, no, that's yeah. not culture. We do this for the culture. Yeah. You're telling us video games or horror films, which I mentioned you're working on, that could be somebody's culture. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. What, I think, you know, if, if anything, you know, from... You play the convergence, right? You play the convergence. I think if you play the convergence, we figure out over time, especially with all of the platforms and how quickly media is transmitted, the convergence over time takes something that feels very, very niche and you feel like it's for other and it's mm -hmm. for them and it's over there. And then eventually it's like, oh no, that's for me. There is a way in. And, and, and you know, there's, a, there's a way that this thing that felt very niche sort of connects with something that you identify with or some passion yeah. point that you have or you see a different angle or there's someone like Ari who comes along and says, hey, this is newsworthy. Um, and then, you, you know, and the eye is opened and people think about it completely different. So well, I'm playing funny, the conversions. It's funny you say that because, you know, when I'm on the news, I, I don't know always of the time, but in this series we have more time. I mean, I'll tell you, when I entered the news business, because I came out of law and other things, there's two ways to define what's news. What used to be news, mm -hmm. right? And right. some of that maintains if the White House does something, if there's a war. Yeah. I mean, anything that used to be news is usually still news, if it, right? Or what's important. Yeah. And the first category is way safer. Because yeah. if we cut to the White House and we take the press conference, I mean, that's news. No one's, you're never going to lose your job over that. Right. When you start getting to what's important, different things are important to different people. I remember when, I, and I bet you do, and I'm not going to you know, put your age out here, <laughs> uh, but people could Google it. But I remember when certain types of individual violent incidents that took place in a community were considered only local news. Right. The Trayvon Martin case was one of the times where it became national news. Right. And there are many reasons for that. But I don't think fair-minded people today would dispute that these are national news stories. Right. That had to change. Now, they might debate how to do it, police right. reform. But that has shifted in a way that in the 80s, if you said, well, this nationalist, someone would say, no, that's a, that's a Florida story. And so right. what's important changes based on who's at the table, which brings us to uh, what I want to get to with you, what you're doing in the horror space. Because I mentioned that because if people say, oh, that's not how it used to be, people used to say, I'm going to give you a couple examples, and I'm quoting everyone. 
just so people mm -hmm. know. People used to say, quote, oh, well, baseball, that's a sport for white people. Mm -hmm. If you don't let other people play, then you don't know how people can even play. Mm -hmm. To say nothing of, obviously, the racism and the ethics of it, you also just won't, wouldn't even know. Right. And then you could go to Hollywood Studios recently, and people would say, horror. Yeah. That's more of a white space. Yeah. Even with the, uh, a lot of action superhero films, right? Yeah. People say those things, and then they will try to tell you they're not racist. Right. Uh, and then right. we see, if you have other people at the table, it changes. So I want to get you on that, but I want to play for you someone um, who really has led as well in this space. Let's take a look at Jordan Peele talking about that intersection. Okay. Absolutely. I really wanted this movie to first and foremost feed that black horror movie audience that has been very clear, like what we need from a movie to make us, you know, and just loyal and just haven't gotten that representation. And that representation became a part of what the movie's identity is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, the, the very, very unique thing about sitting in the seat that I sit in is, you know, I just, I have a different, you know, I call it a different prescription. Mm -hmm. You know, the things that have influenced the way that I see things and where I think that there's value is very different than, you know, the, you know, other people who may sit in the seat. And so I can look at things and find areas that I think are immensely value, valuable and everyone else is, is, is sort of overlooking. They don't think there's anything there. So why are they <coughs> overlooking it? Um, you know, I, I, th I think, um, you know, I, I think that's a very, very, um, you know, I think that, that comes down to it's a very, very sort of personal uh, uh, ingredient. It's a very, very, like the, your perspective in terms of, um, you know, how you see the world, how much time you've spent as, as other, you know, how mm. much time you've had to actually sort of consider kind of what it means to, you know, sort of be validated or, uh, you know, what it, what it means to... Uh, have your perspective deemed as valuable. I think all of that sort of goes into the mix of where you look for art, where you look for culture, where you look for creativity. That's not, that's, that's not sort of divided just along, you know, sort of racial lines. It's just, it's, it's a really, really sort of rich brew. Mine is, you know, my background is, I, you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, in rooms and places where there was, you know, finance before I got to entertainment where, you know, I felt like other. You know, and I needed, I needed one, somebody to say like, hey, you know, it's okay that your perspective is different for a long time, you know, just through education, you're trying to sort of harmonize and commodify perspective. I need somebody to say, it's okay that your perspective is different. And then secondly, you know, I needed to learn and, and have sort of validated that that perspective is also valuable. And so now that I have those two things. Oh, well, let me pause you there okay. because you're making an important distinction. The equitable and political side is we should have equal rights and respect, right? That goes to it just shouldn't be discrimination, right? right? And that's right. almost like a civil rights box if you want to put it legally. Right. But that's only one part. The other part is, as I mentioned, oh, Jackie Robinson was actually really good at baseball. Right. And right. you have proven yourself to be good at these fields. When you say value, I, I take it to mean you're saying in addition to the minimum equality we should have, if we're in capitalism, you still have to then prove what Peel was talking about. That, oh, and also it turns out Meeting that person's experience with a quality yeah. product or piece of culture has value. It has value, and, it, and it's it's really it's really good business. So my partners and and we're doing a slate of three horror films, um, and Jordan is exactly right. Like there's there's a, a horror film uh, that comes along and it does fantastically well, and then you don't you don't see another one. Urban horror, black horror, you don't see another one for another decade or so. 
We're like, why is this? And, you know, 50 Cent and Eli Roth, you know, they've, they've made a career of kind of going against the grain and mm. like looking in places and saying like, hey, you know, if we tell these stories, not only are these stories, you know, sort of economically valuable, but the thing that's important to me is, is if I can replicate, you know, when I was in Cleveland and I was watching, you know, that, that sort of music video and I saw the over-the-top party and I saw, you know, the CEO in the title, if I can replicate uh, that moment that made me think that the potential for my life was greater, just because I'm like, oh, there's someone out there that, that, that's having all this fun or doing all this fantastic thing and they look like me. I can't right. really relate to, to Superman, but those were my superheroes. Mm -hmm. if, I can, if I can do that for, you know, someone who loves, you know, loves horror or, you know, loves gaming or, um, or, 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 or loves uh, emo music, whatever it is, you know, those, the, you know those, those sort of kind of, you know, sort of niche genres, if I can do that, then I think I've done a long, you know, created something that's much more valuable than just an entertainment experience. I've actually sort of, you know, kind of unlocked some human potential. Yeah. Um, and, 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 like, that's what I'm playing for. Right. Like, that's you talk why about, I create content. And you talk about Superman. Did 50 Cent not say, <laughs> I walk around with my tech. Like a, I walk around like I got an S on my, my chest. chest. Yeah, yes, sir. Um, <laughs> so then you go to the value which is the intersection of culture and capitalism. We mm -hmm. live in a society where you want to make a movie, it takes money, yeah. right? You want yeah. to do a TV show, it takes money. There's other things we could do sometimes, less so. And the other thing I wanted to play for you from Jordan Peele was really connects to what you're saying, which was what he showed America, including connecting with what part of his view of the black experience within the horror film was the sunken place. Mm -hmm. And this, this sort of connection. And if you're outside of it, you might listen and learn. And if you're inside of it, you may connect. Um, let's listen to that. Yeah. And that lack of representation in this industry and in this genre is part of the sunken place. And so if you notice, Chris, you know, the sunken place is like tailor-made for Chris's own psychology, but it's also tailor-made for the black horror movie audience in that it's, it's a theater, right? He, he's, he's looking at a screen and he's in this dark place and he can scream at the screen, but he can't get his representation on the other side of the screen. Now you're in the sunken place. What did that mean to you? It, you know, it, it, is that, it is that place um, to me before you kind of get that, before you get the validation, you know, before you get the moment of, uh, you get the moment of belonging um, and you experience the, you know, you experience as, a, as an individual, which we all need to do, um, the fact that, you know, our uniqueness, uh, our difference um, is, you know, belongs to us. And, and, you know, it's something that we can use to, 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 to create value, to, to enhance our existence. And, and there are other people out there that are willing to sort of join in and, 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 and help you to sort of push for that. Um, you know, I think I think now even more so than you know, you know, years ago. Like the, ironically, you know, with the with platforms and social media and all this connectivity, um, it can be it can be a very sort of lonely place for people. Um, you know, you feel like everything is in the screen and nothing really sort of translates to to your to your real life. And so, you know, being able to you know help in my you know my own sort of small way. 
you know, kind of get people out of the sunken place, get mm -hmm. people to a, to a place of belief, uh, hope, aspiration, um, that, you know, not only does that perspective play well and work in front of the camera, it plays well and works behind the camera, it play, right. plays well and works as the CEO, it plays well and works as the owner, like all of those things. Uh, are places where your unique perspective can can create differentiated value. Yeah, and so then it goes to what we're consuming, which shapes some of who we are, and then who's creating it. Uh, we pulled some of the data on video games. We're, we're not a news show that focuses every night on video games. I don't know if you know that. So, but we went went to do our work, and interestingly, about seventy percent of white teens play video games, roughly. Mm -hmm. 80 plus percent black teens play. Uh, but when you look at game developers, 75% white, 10% Hispanic, only 4% black. Yeah. Where does that fit into what you're describing as a really important space for young people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, these are the things where you know, we, create, <clears throat> we create these either new modes of entertainment or we create new, you know, new platforms. And we, we use a lot of words, you know, it's democratized or it's a meritocracy or you know, the, the algorithm, and the al algorithm is impartial, and the algorithm itself will create the equity that we weren't able to do, you know, as people, the algorithm will do it. We outsource a lot of that thinking to, you know, to sort of to the machines, when, when the reality of, of it is, you know, kind of even, even in gaming, when we look at every single step of gaming, which is, you know, as you said, creating the game, but then also, uh, you know, the, the, the creators who were paid and paid really, really well to promote the game. Um, and then, um, you know, and then the, the people who are uh, producing that content and creating and, and, and kind of, you know, behind the scenes and helping to create that content um, to, to promote the game and to create these really, really strong feedback loops that we see in gaming. We, we as a network, uh, produce or, or, or generate 82 million hours of watch time every single mm. month. This, you know, everyone's coming to gaming, everyone is, is consuming gaming, they're playing gaming, they're consuming gaming, but when we, when we did our own work, and I did my own work, and I looked at the amount of uh, ad dollars and brand dollars that went mm -hmm. to creators of color, it was less than 4% of tens of millions of dollars that I was generating and passing through my hands right. to pay creators to do certain things, to create certain content. And we started to look at that problem and we, and we thought, wow, you know, one, shame on me, but two, the very same discrepancies that was, you know, that, that were meant to be sort of avoided in this thing that was egalitarian. Right, and, so how uh, do you change that? And so, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why we created the show Gaming While Black. Mm -hmm. Because the our advertising partners, they would say like, "Oh, there's not enough critical mass here uh, to really get the impressions that we need to support this type of content." And so, so walk us through. We have some footage of Gaming While Black. What yep. does that mean to someone who's not on video games? So Gaming While Black is not about actually the in-game experience. It's about creating a space where people who love uh, games can come uh, and celebrate gaming, celebrate music. Um, in a way that's completely um, just kind of untethered from any any societal weight, any societal expectations. So for, you know, for some just, people, it's understanding it a little bit like ESPN to sports. Yeah, it's people can then share this, and that's what we're seeing here. Yeah, and you can see and you can see yourself in in the sphere of gaming, which, as you've shown, you, you know you're 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 underrepresented. 
And so what we did with this program is we went and we got uh, 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 black creators as executive producers. It stars black talent. Mm -hmm. We found a phenomenal partner um, in, in, in PepsiCo and their Solid Black Initiative. And they understood that, hey, you need to invest in this, which means investment, which is, you know, you have to do a little bit of education. Investment means that your returns, they don't come on day one. Right. Um, because we're trying to invest to close yeah. the gap. And, and it really dovetails with what we're talking about, which is who's there thinking about it and caring about it. Yeah. Uh, I want to get to our lightning round. Yeah. I have one more topic I want to make sure to reach you on, which is gender. Yeah. Um, I think people can watch The Godfather mm -hmm. and not join the mafia. Right. Right. I think people can listen to Drake. Uh, and not speak a hackish patois, yeah. <laughs> although they could choose to. You could choose to. You, you could want. choose to, depending yeah. on the situation. Mine is worse than his. <laughs> um, and I think people can play video games and then still be upright citizens. So I, I really don't want to caricature that, yeah. but we work with the data, and there is, as you know, a long-running issues yeah. around misogyny in this mm -hmm. space. Uh, we did pull, just to jump to the end yeah. of a piece of research, the conclusion of researchers, at least with some games, was that uh, boys who specifically are killing the female characters of video games, so what's happening mm -hmm. sort of inside the game, can actually, when they are done in a sexist way, really reduce those boys' empathy for female victims. Yep. We pick a specific example, because again, I don't want to carica yep. caricature the whole thing. Yep. Uh, what about that and Gamergate and you know Trump ally Steve Bannon was using aspects of gaming as a way to try to build up this yeah. sort of incel movement. What about all of that? What do you say to that? What do you say to the fact yeah. that you love video games? This is what we do the harder question yeah. on the news. You love these video games and Steve Bannon loves some of these video games. Make it make sense and what do you do to make sure that it's not perpetuating what the researchers found was bad for how young men or boys are growing up to treat women? Yeah, absolutely, real problem. Real problem. I think. I think one. The first thing I'll say is, um, you know, these these new tools, these immersive entertainment experiences, AI experiences, they are not going to solve our societal ills. They won't do it for us. There's no sort of new realm, whether it, whether it's VR, AR, AI, whatever it is, that we can step into and we say, oh, that's our ideal society. It lives over there. But what if they reinforce them? And, and, and sometimes they're going to, and sometimes it will absolutely reinforce the worst. To combat that, you know, it's not, it's not, um, to combat that, what we do is we look out and we say, okay, who's not in this space? Um, or who's not being represented in this space? And we see that there's no positive affirmation really for women in the gaming space. All the connotation is negative. But we see the fastest growing segment when we look at our numbers month over month in terms of who's consuming our content, who's actually playing games, they are females. They Would play, you do a gaming they while play women? Just is that in the works? So it's called Neon Love Project. Uh, it's a phenomenal project. It's at the intersection of, of gaming uh, and, 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 and wellness. Uh, and it's, it's targeting uh, women who love, who love the game, who understand the community and the, and the aspects of, uh, of, of, uh, of gaming. And, um, and that's something that, you know, mid this year we're going to launch. Um, but Neon Love Project is exactly our mm. answer to how can we at least create a space 
that gives a counterweight, a counterpoint to what what some of these boys are doing inside these games. And then that's separate before we even get into gaming while Bannon. <laughs> just watch Steve Bannon play games, but he might be incarcerated. It's a whole, that's not your project. We, we can't, we can't solve Steve Bannon. <laughs> uh, lightning round means in a word or a sentence. Okay. Now, sometimes people try to go long. Okay, I'm gonna try no, to No, it's a word or a sentence. I mean, you can always pass if okay. you have to. Okay. Best part of being a CEO is? Uh, autonomy. Worst part of being a CEO is? The pressure. I know I'll be done when? When I can give three black dot to my uh, successor and be confident that they can take it further than, than I have. Someone I haven't worked with that I want to work with is? Uh, the GOAT, Jay-Z. Respect. <laughs> Best advice you've ever gotten? Um, don't, don't join tribes. Hmm. Worst advice you've ever gotten? Trust the process. <laughs> That's a bad one. It really depends on the process. It really depends yeah, on the process. Really depends a lot on of the times the process don't work for yeah. me. It doesn't work for me. <laughs> Best advice you ever gave? Um, never stop learning. Last three. Failure to you is? Not trying again. Success to you is? Glory, leaving a legacy, doing something that outlives your physical existence. Outlive physical existence? That's the Marcus Aurelius level. <laughs> That's real success. I'm shooting on a plane. Yeah, you're out here on a plane beyond. I don't, I don't want to create uh, disposable stuff. I'm Spoke, and spoken like a, like a digital virtual entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Finally, to you, reaching the summit means? It's, um, it's, it's, it's peace. I want to, it's peace and fulfillment. Being able to look at what I, what I do, what I contribute to society, knowing that there's an integrity of purpose, there's a timeliness, timelessness to it, um, and that um, you know, I can feel good about every single aspect of it. Reggie Cash, thanks for being on the Summit Series. Thanks, Ari. Thank you. This is great.